Welcome back to episode three of The Heimland. This week, we're interviewing a man who has a ton of knowledge about the world. He's got many talents. And best of all, he's a host of this show. This week, we're talking to Sam Gatta. Welcome back to The Heimland. This week, we got an exciting interview with Sam Gaida, the pride of Brainerd, Minnesota, Nordic skier, and wild man. All right, Sam, my first question um, is kind of revolved around something that I always found fascinating about you and I yet have to understand. So like I said, you grew up in Brainerd, Minnesota. Um, but my question is, I know you grew up as a Quaker. Uh, I still am kind of confused on what that means and what was it like growing up as a Quaker? Yeah. Um, kind of a train of thought. Um, Quakerism is considered part of like the sect of Christianity. And most people would kind of think of it as almost like the Buddhism of Christianity. It involves a lot of thoughts about like uh, trying to live very simply, very truthfully, um, as well as uh, <clears throat> being very peaceful in your lifestyle. And so if you want to think about like a very traditional um, Quaker meeting, you all show up to whatever place you would like. There are no like priests or anything like that. Um, everyone generally sits in a big circle. Uh, you often have some sort of reading that someone will read to help get you thinking about whatever you'd like. And then there's often like a silent meditation for like 45 minutes to an hour. If anyone feels so-called to speak or like move to mention anything, anyone can, you know, stand up or say what they feel like they would like to. And uh, that's really about it. Other than um, one of the really cool perks of being uh, a Quaker is um, throughout history, it's been like established that they're so like truthful that um, for a very, very long time, I don't know if it's still true, you didn't have to like swear on a Bible in court. You could just say you're a Quaker. Uh, also, I'm fairly pacifistic from growing up um, as a Quaker and not really a big fan of general violence, that sort of thing. One thing that did drive me insane as a child, though, is uh, jokes about the Quaker oatmeal dude. Definitely don't <laughs> sit around and make Quaker oatmeal. You know, not a big part of anything. Best part was also a lot of potlucks. So uh, often it's Quaker people are very, um, <clears throat> like, democratic and towards, like, the left side of the political spectrum, helping uh, people out in general. Um, many of them vegetarians just from their personal life choices. So you often had potlucks with, like, really great vegetarian food super nice so it was like was quakerism like normal in your town like was that a lot of people or was it a small group of people no it was a very very small group of really like the really cool socialist kind of people who were really fun to hang out with uh it's also like very very uncommon throughout most of like minnesota there are a few bigger, uh, often they'll call themselves uh, like groups of friends or society of friends. And so there are like Duluth and the Twin Cities have larger ones, but Brainerd area was very small and drew people all the way from Lake Aiken and Pierce 
and all of those areas. Is it um, true, or is this just a, a myth? Can you like claim religious exemption from the draft? Is that a thing? Yeah. So, like, my draft card has written on it that, like, I'm not about war. And the, like, Brainerd Friends Society sent in, like, a letter which is stapled on it about, uh, like, a religious exemption from war. So, theoretically, if I were to get drafted, um, I wouldn't have to do, like, fighting part of war. Okay. I really don't agree with. Follow-up question. Have you seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? I have not. Oh, well, to sum it up in a couple brief words, if I'm thinking of the right movie, maybe I'm just totally busting here and making a fool of myself. But the movie I'm thinking of, it's similar situation. Guy gets drafted for war, very nonviolent, but he's like really physically fit. Uh, but at any rate, he ends up becoming a medic and then goes on to just uh, there's there's a big battle and they're trying to hold this ridge and everyone's like up on top and then they get, you know, the, the, the bad guys come and they get overrun. And, but he like stays up there to save. I think he like personally pulls out like something crazy, like 60 plus soldiers on his own and just starts lowering them down on his own. So if... In in my mind, if you ever get drafted, that's that's the picture I have in my head. So you got that to live up to. I was once wilderness first aid certified. <laughs> You'll be out on the battlefield asking for their consent. <laughs> <laughs> and making sure that we are far enough away from a hospital that it's a wilderness setting. True. <laughs> We're within three hours of a hospital. I cannot help you, sir. Is that three hours or is it one hour? I don't remember. Can't remember. That's probably the reason that you're not certified anymore. Neither am I. Okay. Question for you, Sam. So one thing that I've taken great pleasure in in my relationship with you is on the occasion that I get to visit you at your house, you have a great many abundance of pets. If you Mm. had to put an estimate on how many pets your family has owned over the years, what would the number be and follow-up question how many of those pets has your family eaten Mm. if you're talking about true pets uh that would be three dogs and six cats Um, actually i guess my parents just recently got a puppy so four dogs uh also had a pet lizard a leopard gecko named liz after the magic school bus lizard for many years at one point, my sister had two mice, very awful critters. They bit me a lot. And my brother had two fish, um, one of which survived for like seven years as a like very, very quarter cheap goldfish and eventually turned albino. Um, and then... Oh, wait, hold on. I, you're... Going impressively on this list, I was not expecting this level of detail, but how does a fish go albino? Uh, Apparently just like like a genetic thing. I guess it didn't truly turn albino. It just slowly, the goldfish slowly turned white. Like Um, Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you want to consider 
it was a whitefish that the pet store had painted gold, and they didn't expect it to live that long, so the paint just wore off eventually. Uh, it also swam too close to, like, the, like, filter thing many times, and even though it had, like, a guard on the filter, somehow got parts of its fins in there. So in the end, it had these really stumpy, sad little fins that it would, like, beat really fast to move itself up to eat food. And then it would just, like, float around for a while. But if you're asking about pseudo-pets, so not true pets, uh, while I worked at camp, I got seven ducks for the Nature Center. And those of them, two of them got specially adopted to the freezer. And then four of them uh, my parents adopted and one went to someone else. And there's currently one duck, Udom, named after Udom's Thai food, who is still around. Um, and then if you get into farm animals, which some people, uh, consider pets, I would not say they're pets. Growing up, we had like 20 head of cows. Um, and now my parents are really into, well, actually my brother and my mom are really into poultry. So there are silly number of chickens, maybe 70 chickens that they've owned in the past couple of years. Uh, my God, that's too many chickens. Yeah, way too many. I don't like chickens. Uh, like 15 pigeons, including some giant homing pigeons that are the size of chickens. And what purpose do pigeons serve as farm animals? Uh, you're supposed sure. to eat them, but my brother does not eat them. Oh. See, they're homing pigeons, so you tie little uh, messages to them and send them to the other farmers. Like, I have found your cow. <laughs> but the giant homing pigeons are so big they can't fly, really. They're the size but of a chicken. They're useless. Yes. So they're, they're shitty at being homing pigeons, and you refuse to eat them, so they, they're just pets, Sam. Those are pets. It is a huge bird pet that lives outside. But also, I want to just like co- comment on something we kind of glossed over. The way Sam said that the ducks got adopted by the freezer is like the same way that parents tell the ducks kids that their dog uh went to a farm upstate they were very tasty <laughs> i've very eaten nice. many cows and i did eat uh two of the ducks vlad one and vlad two i think i ate one of them too yeah they didn't yeah. get along with the children they ran away from them <laughs> they didn't get along with me either hence the reason i ate one all right here's my next question sam it's kind of a double question again what are you currently doing for work, and does it help you get to where you want to be in life? Yeah, right now I'm currently uh, a naturalist at Wolf Ridge Environmental Learning Center up in Finland, Minnesota. And so what that means is all day I'm taking students out who are about fourth grade through eighth grade, sometimes as low as kindergarten, uh, sometimes up to like high school students, occasionally college students, and like adult learners that come through. And we're teaching them about the natural world in the natural world using like place-based experiential learning. Um, That may be a form of like, you know, in Minnesota, you have to learn in your social studies class in fifth grade about the voyageurs. And so our class about voyageurs, instead of reading out of your textbook, children come in, you're dressed up as Jacques. Jacques the voyageur greets them and says, Welcome to the Voyager. You are going to be Voyagers today. Can any of you paddle a canoe? 
and then you give them all fake name tags and dress them up, and you teach them how to paddle a giant Voyager canoe. They learn about being Voyagers by, like, acting them out. Or if you have to teach about, you know, science, um, and can science be an adventure, you have, like, a big tracking outing where you go and you, like, look at tracks and you do transects and you learn about how you can use all of these different science methods that are used in later, like, forestry and agroecology and, uh, like, general ecology um, lessons that you can build on later during the school year. You also do things like taking kids up on the ropes course or on a rock wall, and that sort of thing. And I really enjoy it. I find it super fun. I didn't really want to teach formally and found this was like a really nice compromise. So I didn't have to base a lot of like lessons specifically on like state standard one, two, three, and four. You can kind of like lump them together in a larger, easier to do lesson. Uh, I also really like being outdoors. And right now, Currently, I would say, yes, it is kind of leading me where I'd like to go, where I'd just like to continue working in the outdoor red field. Eventually, it'd be nice to get a job that pays a little bit more solid, like as a like permanent position. Um, you know, benefits would be pretty cool. Having a little bit more health care would be super solid. But right now, pretty good. And I think it's leading me where I'm going to go eventually. All right. This is kind of a broad question, but I want you to answer uh, the best you can. What are you curious about right now? Ooh, the main thing I've been working on for like the past year is I've been learning to identify um, gulls. These are little like insects that get into plants and cause a plant to grow around them into this like home that this critter is inside. It can be an insect or um, like a mite, midge, wasp sort of thing. It can be a fungus, could be a nematode, could be a bacteria. And so all of these things cause what could best be described as like a cyst on a person that has this little organism welled off in it. And so I've been working on that to the point where I would say for like citizen scientists in the general North Shore area, I might might be, you know, one of the better people identifying them, but it's been a really cool learning process. So jumping in here, um, as someone who follows you on social media, specifically Snapchat, it always seems that you're coming up with something crazy to do with your hands, uh, whether that's like I think what what was the latest one you were creating tree taps out of other trees? Yeah, um, elderberry. So maybe just tell us about that process and but kind of as an overall question, uh, what is it about doing kind of hands-on labor and craft stuff that isn't you find enticing? And what is the coolest craft that you've ever made in your opinion? Mm. I really like learning all of the different like skill sets related to handcrafts and other similar things. I think it's really fun to acquire all these different experiences and know how to make all of the stuff I might end up using. Um, and so with that process, you know, like if someone can show me how to whittle, I'm very grateful to learn how to whittle from them. Or uh, last year, someone was teaching me about 
like tapping maple trees and I was reading about tapping birch trees and they had some homemade spiles they made out of some elderberry. And so this year I went and I found some elderberry that had grown from uh, one that got cut down last summer. And I took the spiles and I shaved them down and then the pith was really fun to pop out. It just kind of went one giant section. And it was a really fun, like, learning process to know how to do this and be, if I ever want, instead of going to, you know, some store and buying these metal spiles that have gone through this huge process to extract them from the ground and create them and move them to me. I just know how to make them. I also find it really helpful because I need to move a lot and, like, fiddle with things. As you both know, I often bounce my leg while I'm sitting down. Having something to do with my hands is a really good thing for me as I'm just like sitting there hanging out. Awesome. Also word of the day for those listeners who don't know the pith is the center of a piece of wood. It's like the heartwood. Uh, I would say probably the favorite craft I've ever made is for a little while in high school, I was still living at home. I was playing with our forge. And so I was finding different railroad like spikes from all over and I was taking them into the forge and I was, you know, heating them up and then hitting them with a hammer like you would see people doing, you know, in a movie or whatever. And I made a couple of really sweet knives out of them that had like twisty, swirly handles. I think those are the best crafts I ever made out of it. All right. Sam, uh, this kind of actually flowed really well into my question. Uh, you just talked about a couple of things you've succeeded at doing. Uh, what's something that you failed at doing? Ooh, swimming. Yeah, not a I, good swimmer. Good sinker. I swim like a skipped rock. Uh, apparently, swim well enough to <clears throat> be a lifeguard, but only in a wilderness setting, which surprised me. But I really do not swim at all. Sam, uh, I think another fun thing uh, or another reason that I enjoy hanging out with you is I, I typically learn something uh, new almost every time I hang out with you. I think one of the, uh, now I forget the name of, of the tree, but when we were throwing in those sticks in the, in, the, in the pond out at camp and they were turning all sorts of funky colors, um, but... <clears throat> At any rate, what I'm getting at is top three nature facts. Go. Ooh, top three nature facts. I think one of the best ones for wow factor is the one you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, balsam fir trees get these little, like, bubbles on the side that are filled with sap. And if you take, like, a small stick and you poke one of these little bubbles and get a bunch of sap on one end, you can toss it in the water and there's some sort of chemical reaction between the sap and the oils in it and the water. And the sap like spills out and runs over the water, making this really pretty oily looking pattern. But it also, the speed and like the force it's leaving and somehow how it's reacting with the water causes a stick to like motorboat and like swim around, which is really cool. Another really good fact. Um... Ooh, this is a really difficult one. I often just, like, come up with facts as I'm, like, looking at something and it pops into my brain. 
Yeah, this is arguably difficult to do in a very electronic setting. Mm. Ooh. I think one of my other favorite facts is the most ridiculously named organism that I know. It is uh, a gull called a Eastern American alder tongue gull fungus. If you want to try it again, that's an Eastern American alder tongue gull fungus. And this Eastern American alder tongue gull fungus gull is caused by a fungus that infects the pseudopine cones of generally swamp, uh, which is also known as either tag or speckled alder, and causes them to get these really long, like, tongue-like growths out of them. But specifically, my favorite uh, part about that is telling people that it is, again, once more, a Eastern American alder tongue gall fungus gull. And I think I'm going to go my third one is the Samivian zone, that it exists, and it's the little layer underneath the snow. In between, like, the earth and your snowpack, you have this little warm spot where it melts the snow a little bit, but everything else is helping to hold the snow up. And so it's actually warmer than both above the snow and in the snow. It's often above freezing. And all of your little schmammals, your small mammals, love to live down there and run around and find seeds to eat. If you want to look for it, you can just dig a large trench down. And once you get to the bottom, you'll notice there's like a very small gap. If you stick a thermometer in there, you'll notice it's generally above freezing. Very nice. Mm-hmm. All right, Sam. Mike, next question. Um, so when we lived together, I always enjoyed that sometimes I would come home in the middle of the night and who would be awake? But you cooking something super tasty. Um You've always been good at cooking. You enjoy cooking. When did you start noticing that you were enjoying it and became a good cook? Could to be honest, I started cooking in senior year of high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do other than I didn't want to take another AP class. I had a little bit of free time. I had to take another class of some sort, so I decided to take foods class. Turns out foods class was really cool. I learned a lot in foods class. Learned how to make a lot of really good food. Most important perk of that. Um, and after that, I was like, ah, it was pretty solid. I'm going to start to learn how to, like, cook better. And that also fed into, like, my love of gaining different skills and different crafts. And uh, by learning how to, like, cook, I was able to, you know, figure out some spices that worked well here. And, you know, these things mix well here. These things go together horribly. One of the first things I tried to cook on my own was an omelet. I don't quite know what I added from the spice cabinet above the stove, but I ended up with an omelet that tasted like fish and feet, and it was fairly nasty. Uh, But then one of my really biggest gross parts of cooking was in college. I spent a lot of time with the student organic gardeners of the Morris OGC, as well as... um, the Morris chapter of MPERG, Minnesota Public Interest Research Group. And both of those worlds, as they combined, did a lot of cooking. So I picked up a lot of different techniques, a lot of different parties that were centered around cooking, like chopped challenges where you would all show up and you'd bring four items and then you'd have to create a whole meal out of this random hodgepodge of stuff that a bunch of college students all 
grabbed from like the very back of their pantry that they didn't want to eat. And then my favorite adventurous happened to be like late night drunk cooking, drink a few beers, uh, come back from the bar, you're hungry, you don't have any good snacks. And so throw something together. Just this last Friday, we had a party. Um, I got to the point where I was hungry, was nothing great in the fridge, sat scheming on the couch a little bit and came up with the idea of breakfast, like yatso or dumpling sort of things. And so I cooked up some sausage and some bacon, eggs, potatoes and cheese, rolled out some like simple wrappers and made some dumplings at close to midnight. They were pretty dank. See, I think any normal person would just throw in a <laughs> pizza or make a bowl of ramen, and you're like, let's make a whole new invention. I think I think Always what impresses me the most about that anecdote is just the, the sheer patience that drunk Sam Gaida has. <laughs> yeah, me and me in college come home, open the freezer, and if there's not a Jack's pizza in that freezer, I am gonna lose it. Like sometimes it it wasn't even like like a pizza wouldn't even be fast enough. It was just raw ingredients. I would just like I guess the cheese stick isn't a raw ingredient, but just pepperonis, like literally whatever was in the fridge and tasty. <laughs> I always remember after you left or stopped living with us, force got forced out by the university oh. by the man. Um, you would, I'd always come home and you would be making something tasty. Like I remember you made like these bacon cheese dumplings one time. And I remember mm-hmm. it was like, you know what? Sam can do this in the middle of the night. I can do this. And I tried to make a blooming onion one time. Winston. <laughs> I remember this. This it was a disaster. <laughs> I, it was just an oily onion. And I was like, I made this. I'm going to eat it. And I had the worst diarrhea after that. It was wonderful. The onion wasn't the only thing blooming. <laughs> It was Ben's butthole. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so, Sam, I want to ask you a question that is maybe less uh, about you as a person, but more about your ideals. So, uh, getting a little bit more serious here, if there was one thing that you wanted that you could change about society or about the way that people think, or maybe just something simple like a common misconception, what would be the one thing you would change? Ooh, I think I'd have people chill out, you know, take a few deep breaths, be a little bit nicer, you know, everything will work out eventually. It doesn't have to always be under your control. Things are going like horribly. You might as well just take a moment, you know, step back in the situation and then once you can continue just roll with whatever's going on around you and continue being nice to everyone instead of getting super frustrated with them it's a very quaker answer of you we've come full circle here oh boy see now winston went all serious now i'm gonna go not serious at all all right sam if you were a jedi knight what color would your lightsaber be Mm. hold on hold on okay you don't just get a choice yeah, what are you talking about have you mace windu bro his was purple 
he yeah, got a choice. Yeah, he is the exception. You cannot just come in here and expect to be a Mace Windu. Fine, assuming you're a Mace Windu and you get to pick. <clears throat> there are yellow lightsabers. There are purple lightsabers. I believe there are orange lightsabers. Does anybody have a yellow one? Uh, there's only green, blue, red, and purple at this point. If I remember you just, right, you guys are single-handedly just leaving all of our non-existent Star Wars fan base out to dry. This is, I literally this just watched, uh, which I Return of the Jedi last night. But there are definitely uh, yellow lightsabers in the lore, whether you consider that canon or not. Still, there are also force sabers, and if you want, you can always break your kyber crystal and uh you can have a red lightsaber i think realistically i would end up with a blue or a green lightsaber i think i'd like a blue lightsaber lame most likely just in case you were wondering mine would be pink all right <laughs> or black black would be cool black would be know. pretty rad i don't know would that be sith though i feel like that's a sith color but i feel like I feel like i could do it Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like they're also either black lightsabers or black force sabers. Uh, I may be getting absolutely destroyed by anyone who's actually knowing uh, Star Wars and listening to this. All right. Well, uh, if anyone listening to this is a big Star Wars fan and is mad at us right now, please feel free to tweet at us at the Heimland on Twitter or email us Heimland at gmail.com. I still stand behind their yellow lightsabers, or at least uh, proto-sabers of some sort. All right, you think there's yellow ones, and you still wouldn't pick that? You still pick blue? Yeah. Right. Well, yellow's a lame color. At least that decision's understandable. I chose blue mainly because my favorite color is when you're looking into a really deep lake, you get that, like, aquamarine tealy color. It's more blue than green. That's why I ended up choosing blue one. All right, Sam, I got another one for you. Does pineapple go on pizza? Yes or no? Uh, some pizzas, you can put it on pizza, uh, especially if you got the Canadian bacon and you got that salty, you got that sweet. It's kind of like a sweet and sour sauce. can be good. I don't personally like pineapple on pizza. I would not choose to put it on pizza. I'd choose to eat it separately. But uh, you can make your food choices. Kiwi definitely doesn't go on pizza, though. Hold up, hold up. You know somebody that put kiwi on a pizza? No, I've just uh, seen the internet get very upset about kiwis on a pizza. Uh, whoever does that is a monster. <laughs> Correct. Uh, it's doing this for shock value at that point. Yep, probably. Okay, okay. so getting off the kiwi atrocity, uh, question, Sam. If you could... Choose one person in existence, past or present, and just immediately acquire their skill set. So say you like wanted to become a pro skateboarder, you would pick Tony Hawk, or you were really <laughs> passionate about a certain instrument that you had no idea how to play, or you could pick like Chopin or something. Who would you pick? Oh. I don't know if I have an exact person to name, um, but I would for sure pick someone who has all the skills and has done all the cool things, and so I'd know how to make anything I wanted or tinker with it. Possibly so, the, the answer. That, 
possibly the answer coming to mind at the moment would be uh, Benny Ambrose, who was the second to last person living in the Boundary Waters up near uh, like Monument Portage. And you can tell just by looking at what's left of where his cabin was after it was burned out by the Forest Service when he died. He tinkered with everything while he was living there. And it looks like it was amazing. For sure knew how to build log cabins, did masonry, did stonework, planted stuff, trapping, knew everything that was going on. So to clear this up, this was a resident in the area before it was dedicated as a park? Yes, and he is the main reason that there are not any motors in the Boundary Waters. Well, that's it for today. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe and uh, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a good review, funny or nice, we might read it on the show and give you a shout out. All right. See you next time. This podcast is available on all your favorite platforms, such as Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public.